Welcome to the Epigenetics Podcast from Active Motif. Join host Dr. Stefan Dillinger for lively discussions with leading epigenetics researchers. Hear about their past experiments, what they're working on now, and what's coming next. You know their papers, now get to know them and discover the stories behind the science. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Epigenetics Podcast. Today I'm happy to welcome Ben Henson, CSO of 10X Genomics, on this show. Please let me briefly introduce you to our audience. You earned your PhD in chemistry from Deakin University in Australia. You then were co-founder of Quanta Life Inc. in 2008, where you served as chief scientific officer until 2011. After that, you founded 10X Genomics and you are president and CSO since 2012. A question I like to ask every guest to start off our little podcast is, how did you become interested in biology in the first place and then in pursuing a career in science? Uh, I think growing up as a kid in Australia, I uh, thinking back to the ninth grade, I used to get good marks in science and I used to kind of like doing the little experiments they they do with test tubes or making a little volcano out of chemicals. And uh, I thought it was kind of cool. And so um, I think around that time I got interested in science and I also had really good teachers at that time. And so uh, a little diversion throughout the years through high school still did okay in science but um i think you know when it came choices to when you want to go off to college it's like well what are you going to do and i went out to visit uh, one of the local universities back in australia called deakin university and they had a, a get together in the gym and all the professors were there and one of the gentlemen there said why don't you why don't you study chemistry and he really hit it off with my dad because they both like drinking wine. And uh, and so my dad's like, that guy seems like a good professor. Why don't you follow his advice and take up chemistry? So um, I signed up and that's exactly what I did and ended up going through the, through the undergraduate, got a bachelor's of science majoring in chemistry. And then, um, and then let's see, uh, ended up doing a PhD in chemistry because I liked it so much. And so Richly became really good friends, that professor that I mentioned. And uh, he mentored me through my PhD. And it wasn't until I got to do a postdoc over here in the United States at Lawrence Livermore Lab in California, where um, I started to get more exposure to biology. Uh, and, um, and so that's kind of where I started learning about pathogens and all the different things that <laughs> pathogens can do. And Uh, that was the focus there. And I think throughout the years, I've just, uh, you know, through either at 10X Genomics or at prior companies or prior jobs, um, learned a lot about biology just from being on the job and working with other great biologists. And so um, still a ton to learn, obviously. Uh, but, um, you know, I picked up some things here and there and uh, but definitely not a biologist uh, by by training, but, you know, I've learned enough to be dangerous. <laughs> so from the outside, it really looks like you're a very innovative person. Um, how does that come? Um, I think it's probably just, I think I do have some kind of creative sort of genes, if you will, uh, in my body. <laughs> um, I think uh, growing up, I grew up in a, in a musical family. And so I think music can be kind of creative. Um, my older brother's actually a composer. So that's on the extreme of creativity in my mind. And so, I don't know, I think just I like being creative and like using 
sort of like a puzzle in your brain, like these are this is a problem. How could you go about solving it? And I think the process is kind of rewarding. It's fun when you do it with other people. And uh, I think the innovation is really kind of a, an exciting thing where it's fun to have an idea, but then it's fun to bounce it and brainstorm off of others, get to the whiteboard and then make it better. And then ideas are, are great to see them also come into some kind of reality at some point and, uh, and get some benefit from them. So that's a, it's a creative process. And I think I am creative at heart and, uh, but we also, myself included, uh, you know, like to solve problems and, what other better way than coming up with something new to do that? So coming to the science part of this episode, um, the topic of this episode is single cell technologies with the principle of droplets uh, that are generated using advanced microfluidics with a 10x genomics uh, chromium instrument. Um, over 2,100 single cell publications have been published featuring this uh, device or technology. 265 of them in nature cell or science. Uh, this is pretty uh, impressive. Um, could you maybe take us back to the time when you found it, among others, at 10x Genomics? Uh, what was it like and what was the leading idea behind it all? I think we were coming at it from a few different angles. So uh, some of my co one of my co-founders, Serge, who's the CEO of 10x Genomics, he's, he was really in tune with the applications. Um, so he's a bioinformatician. Uh, and so he was seeing that the promise of next generation sequencing at the time. And I could see the power of having such an awesome way to detect so many things uh, was really, you know, could be really revolutionary. But I think what we were seeing also is that the methods that were being used at the time uh, where they were, you know, referred to commonly now as bulk, uh, bulk analyses where you just lose so much information. And so we thought that it might be cool if we had a way to preserve that information Uh, so that you could get more biological insights from each sample. And I put my thinking cap on and I thought of ways that you might be able to do that. So, you know, rather than the first step in the process where you, in bulk analysis, where you take the sample, you shred it up into a million pieces and try to fit the jigsaw puzzle back together again, which is basically impossible. We thought maybe we could take those samples and whether they're cells or molecules, um, you can take those samples and put them in their own little container and then um, put a little barcode on them. And, and that way that you know that after they've been shredded and read out, you know that you have the key to how to put them back together again. So these barcodes were a way of indexing what molecules or which parts of each molecule or cell belong together at the beginning of the analysis. And so that was the premise of it. It was really about preserving biological information And that would give us new insights into biology. And so, you know, we sat around in the garage. Uh, well, actually, first Serge and I met at a coffee shop in San Francisco, scratched a few ideas down on the on the train ride in, and uh, and uh, we came up with uh, some ideas around this concept. And uh, and then we thought that we could start a company together because we liked working together. And then uh, Serge and I, you know formed the company and then we got together with the third co-founder Kevin Nass and uh, we actually spent quite quite a bit of time in his garage actually and uh, 
a lot of that time was it was quite a nice garage by the way it had air conditioning <laughs> and uh so we spent quite a lot of time at the whiteboard uh iterating on our ideas coming up with new ones we added some really key uh key scientific horsepower to the company in those early stages and founding scientists and uh, and then together we made our ideas better came up with new ones and and refined the concept to where you know we could see that uh, based on a lot of different parameters that using uh, what we call gel beads which are these barcoded beads um, oligo barcoded beads together with uh, with what's called a droplet, if you could put these barcoded beads together with a sample, say, for example, a single cell, wrap that together in a, a water in oil droplet, you could have the potential to scale uh, the analyses to not just tens to, or hundreds of cells, which was available at the time using micro titer plates, but you could scale this analysis to some, essentially like a limitless number of reactions up to where we are today, where it's you can analyze millions of cells in a single experiment sort of with ease. And so we didn't start with the, with, with our, what we call our gem technology, which is gel beads in emulsions um, or gel beads in droplets, if you will. I actually started off with some other ideas, which were, you know, micro tighter, like little micro wells with barcoded beads inside them um, as our first concept, but we refined these over time and, um, and eventually settled on, settled on our on our fairly quickly on our uh, gel bead in droplet technology, um, and that's really the foundation of you know what became ultimately our chromium system, chromium platform, which uh, customers are using today. Obviously, there are many questions uh, to follow up here, but it seems like a, a big concept that big companies or innovative companies have to be. Is started in a garage right <laughs> without a garage there's not going to be a big company it seems like <laughs> seemed, to work, seemed to work out well for apple <laughs> uh, so could you maybe briefly go over the single cell workflow with the chromium device a little bit uh, in more detail so how does it work to form those droplets yeah so first step is to take the sample um, most samples or a lot of samples are in a tissue form so you have to dissociate the cells so that, they, so that they are in single cell form. Um, that cell suspension can then be loaded into a microfluidic chip uh, with a pipette. So you load a certain number of cells into a well of a microfluidic chip. Uh, in a few other wells, you load barcoded gel beads. You load some um, oil that contains uh, surfactant. And then uh, you can do that You can load many samples at a time on each particular chip. So either eight or 16, I think is the current format uh, available to customers. And then, so you take that, that chip that's preloaded with your cells, your reagents, and you put that chip inside an instrument, which is called our, either our Chromium controller or the Chromium X. And then what that instrument does is it you know, applies very controlled pressures to these microfluidic chips And what that does is it causes the, the, these uh, sample and reagents to flow down uh, microchannels within, that we've designed within the chips. And what, that, what happens inside these chips is essentially we assemble the reactions together. So much like you would do with a micro pipetta, 
we use these microfluidic chips to assemble each droplet, which contains all the right numbers of reagents and the right kind of stoichiometry in a droplet. So it gets one gel bead, which has the barcodes on it. It gets a single cell in most cases, and it gets the right amounts of enzymes and all the other reagents that's required to firstly encapsulate the gel bead and the cell, and then it lyses the cell. And then, um, then we start what's called a um, reverse transcription reaction. And that essentially copies the barcode into the, into the um, cDNA from the RNA. And then we have a barcoded molecule and it essentially attempts to capture all the RNA molecules from that cell and barcode them. And then we can take those products from the droplets, so we can add a fluid which breaks open all the droplets, and um, and then we can prepare those and then read those out on a on a next generation sequencer, and then our software then picks up those those sequencing reads and essentially tells you which molecules came from which cell and how many of each one there were, so then you can um, classify which kind of cell it was and kind of what interesting biology might be happening in each cell. It's a very simple process, and we designed it that from the get-go. And so a lot of what happens to make beads and make all this technology work in the hands of customers, um, there's a lot of what happens sort of behind the scenes, if you will. And so um, that's why we've you know, invested a lot in our infrastructure here at 10X. But we want it such that when the customer gets it and they utilize it on their valuable samples, it essentially just works and it can work for there are different experiments for a range of different applications. So that was really our mindset from the start. And, um, and that's kind of our mindset going forward is it's great when you just get things out of the box and they just work. And um, you don't necessarily care how it's made, but, you know, we do all that heavy lifting for you behind the scenes. Um, so I think you hinted at this uh, just a little bit now in your answer, but what was the first product you offered in the single cell space? Yeah, um, we use the same technology, which is this, you know, gem technology, if you will. But our application was a little different. Um, to begin with, our first product looked at, rather than isolating cells, which I've been talking about, we isolated long DNA molecules. And so our first application was essentially looking at long read sequencing. So, um, you know, there were companies at the time which were, would take the molecules and then try to sequence those long molecules. Um, and that's very challenging. Companies like PacBio and Oxford Nanopore, for example, are companies that are still doing that today and doing fairly well at that. We had a different approach where we could take those long molecules, isolate those in our, our, in our gems or our barcoded droplets, and then we could tag um, portions of the molecules um, And then we could read them out on a short read sequencer, but because we know all those little tagged, tagged pieces that we make came from the same molecule, we could essentially reconstruct uh, the information from really long molecules. And so that's where we started. It was called linked read sequencing. And that product worked really well. Um, we could see new biology in the genome that, was, uh, that couldn't be seen with other technologies. Um, And, you know, it did fairly well. It was also good for, really good for de novo assembly of new genomes where you didn't have a reference. 
But then we saw that the opportunity uh, was much bigger in in single cell analyses, um, and that field was very nascent at the time. The jury was still out, but uh, we ha- also had our eyes on single cell analyses, sort of from the beginning of the company. It was just a matter of we started with uh, looking at genome sequencing to begin with, and then as we saw the the opportunity for single cell analyses potentially be much bigger. Uh, we applied more of our efforts to that over time and less on linked reads. And I think the next thing that came out then was single-cell RNA-seq. Yeah. How, how did that then integrate into all this uh, workflow? So it uses a very similar workflow in terms of, you know, you have, you have reagents, barcoded bees. It required a, a different... Uh, input obviously so you have to start with intact cells you have to prepare the cells appropriately unless they're coming from like blood which are already dissociated Um, and then much of the process is similar so we changed the reagents uh, and all the other chemistries that are in but in the system but essentially it used the same instrument or effectively the same instrument um And so this was back in 2000, late 2015, I think you had customers that bought an instrument to to do single cell analyses. And they they also had another instrument that was looked very similar to do the genome analyses. That was how we got started on single cell. And then sort of soon after that, we came out with a single platform that enabled customers to do all the analyses on our on our sort of menu at the time and that was what became the chromium platform which is still what what we're calling our single cell uh, platform today so for the single cell rna seq what kind of input uh, are you using is it single cells or single nuclei because um, yeah, some researchers are performing on single nucleus rna seq rather than single cell rna seq uh, yeah what is the yeah, difference, um, and can you comment on the differences between single nucleus and single cell RNA seq? Yeah, in the early days, everybody wanted to do single cell analysis, uh, but I think over time that they've they've recognized some of the benefits of doing single nuclei sequencing, so that you can take, say, for example, frozen tissues and still get uh, nuclei out of them. Um, They're somewhat more robust, obviously, uh, but there are some challenges to doing nuclear sequencing. Um, The the value of the information that you get, which I think took some time to prove out, is still very high with doing um, single nuclear sequencing. And so I think that's that's taken some time to appreciate. And also, as the sensitivity of single-cell sequencing got higher over time, that also enabled us to get more information out of single nuclei. And so there's some practical advantages of the kinds of samples you can access with single nuclear sequencing. Um, And so you can process banked samples that I mentioned. It's also a little bit more robust to handling and things like that. Um, That said, you still need to be able to do certain purifications and things to get them in a state um, that you get, you know, good quality data out of the system. And so this, the preparation of nuclei is somewhat non-trivial. And so there are some complex protocols that are sometimes required to do that. However, uh, we have come up with a much simpler approach, which is our first sample prep uh, device, which 
we're actually talking about today on our experience event. And it's a, a fairly simple sample prep column that enables you to isolate nuclei very efficiently and very quickly on a whole range of samples and do that in such a way that you don't need a flow cytometer or other, other more expensive equipment. Um, so really straightforward uh, sample prep protocol that you know, will support things like uh, ATAC-seq, uh, our multi-ohms, single cell gene expression, and ATAC-seq protocols and other things. So as well as uh, straight up single cell gene expression. Uh, and so that's a really nice development, which I think will unlock a lot of potential um, and remove any throttlers for a single cell uh, nuclei seq. Um, can you maybe just tell us a little bit how this uh, column works? Maybe not going into too much detail, but what, what is the principle behind that? Yeah, it's essentially a, a, a column which uses different media to isolate the nuclei. And this is something that for those who are used to using columns to isolate DNA from a sample, it's, it's sort of a similar kind of workflow. <laughs> it's really simple. You can isolate the nuclei using the different media that we uh, prepare and uh, provide together with the with the physical column, and um, you know it's something that you can be you can do um, in a matter of hours fairly quickly for a number of samples. So it's very scalable, and so the exact workflow and kits we'll probably talk about actually just in the next hour or so on our experience event. So you can find out more there. But there'll also be more information up on our okay. website as well on the detailed protocols and when yeah. the kits will be available. So we are recording this on uh, February 22nd and this will not be um, published today. So um, I will put the links in the show notes just to, to make sure that everybody um, gets the, the right links. So since this is uh, the epigenetics podcast, I want to focus also on the epigenetics methods in your portfolio, namely single-cell attack-seek that, that you offer as a kit and we Active Motive offer as a service. So what was the challenge to start this essay? Um, well, I think we recognized the power of a taxi uh, fairly early together with some others. And we purchased a company called Epinomics, which was doing bulk, uh, bulk ataxic methods. And we saw the power of, of doing this at the single cell level. And so we purchased that company and integrated that company quite some time and Uh, you know, work together with some of the, the epigenomics team and some of the co-founders of that company to launch our first single cell ataxic product. Uh, and I think it's, you know, I think the jury was still out at the time on the value of single cell ataxic um, or ataxic in general, but we were believers. And so we put out our first version of the product. And, you know, I think it's born true that there is a lot of value for using a taxi to get it epigenetic information. And we're seeing that with the utility and the usage and uptake of the products, of the customer's usage of, the, of our products. And so, um, you know, obviously correlating a taxi information with gene expression is from the same sample was another big ask. So as soon as we came out with a taxi and we had the single cell gene expression separately, you had to do them kind of in parallel, not exactly on the same cells. So marrying those together was another development that we did. And that came out with our first sort of multi-ohm product. Yeah, maybe yes. we can come come to this a little bit later and just focus on the single cell ataxic. Yeah, uh, so first, uh, ataxic uh, didn't really, uh, really 
done really well, but I think we also have a new version coming out. So that'll have higher sensitivity, uh, very similar workflow. And that's something that, you know, will be coming out, uh, you know, in the next few months here. And so I think customers will, will be able to appreciate the improved, uh, you know, sensitivity of that kit. And, uh, and so that's something that we've also been working on. So what is what is the workflow of the single cell attack seek? So I think that you also would need uh, nuclei to go into the protocol then. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same um, protocol. Essentially, you take the nuclei as a transposition event. Uh, the barcodes can then we use the the barcoding to uh, essentially know which uh, transposition events came from which cell, and then. Um, similar kind of next generation sequencing readout. So very streamlined, straightforward workflow. And the the version one workflow that we have will be very similar for what we have for our version two, so that you'll get uh, improved sensitivity for your peaks that you'll see in your epigenetic data. Um, what uh, So the, the TN5 has like a temperature optimum that is not room temperature. So how do you manage to to like have the different temperatures or do you do it at room temperature, the transposition reaction? I think it's done at room temperature either. It's been some time since I've looked <laughs> at that protocol. So <laughs> apologies for that. But I mean, I think the details are, I, I don't remember the exact okay. details. No worries. So um, a big question, and you mentioned this already, uh, is data integration. So um yeah, how can single cell ataxic data be integrated with other data sets and which ones do you think are the most useful? Uh, I think the, well, I think we've done a lot of, obviously done a lot of atlasing. Um, so comparing them to those data sets to what we may have previously thought to be true uh, was interesting. I think we've come a long way on finding new cell types. Um, with respect to the data, I think one of the things we've focused on is getting more types of data from the same cell during the same experiment. So really focusing on multi-omics is key so that rather than having to compile a whole bunch of different data types from different kinds of technologies which can be challenging in itself uh, we we aim to help provide sort of like an integrated approach where we can do multi-omics comprehensively on the same sample and so whether that's in single cell analysis or in intact tissue for looking at sort of spatial readouts um, that's something that we're striving to do so um, you know that said i think there is still a lot of power and challenges with um, integrating not only 10x different data types for the multi-omics, but also looking at what's true and what's seen from other techniques. You know, flow cytometry, for example, is a you know still a very valuable readout uh, and can be used as a as a technique up front for some of our assays uh, to isolate and purify certain cell populations. Um, it's also good for looking at protein markers, but now with sort of site-seek approach and using our feature barcoding technology, you can start to look at protein and RNA uh, assays at the same time. Um, and that's been happening for some time now. Now that would have it's been my next question. What what 
SS2 you offer as a multi-omics assay and can you maybe just describe uh, those a little bit? Yeah, so our first multi-ohm, true multi-ohm product that we've called multi-ohm is essentially looking at single-cell gene expression together with single-cell ataxic. Um, so that's that's something that has been really well received by the scientific community. So drawing those direct correlations between those two data types uh, has proven to be very valuable. Um, you know, I think the feature barcoding, so what I refer to there is taking other, other sources of getting information, like say, for example, antibodies. So you can take antibodies in the site-seek type approach, put oligonucleotide barcodes onto those antibodies and then combine a panel of antibodies and then label your cells up front before you put them into gems. And that way you can um, know which antibodies are bound to which cells and then you can get all the barcodes read out at once, essentially in your experiment. And then you can associate, you know, whether it's surface markers initially or uh, looking forward, people looking at intracellular proteins and other kinds of analytes, cytokine assays, lots of things that you can essentially label with an oligonucleotide barcode and get multi-omic readouts uh, is pretty interesting. And uh, I can see the value where some signals that you see in sort of like an antibody readout may also be complemented by an RNA readout, but there's some cases where you may see new information from an antibody readout that's not necessarily there in the RNA-seq profile um, and vice versa, where maybe the antibody signal is weak, but there's a strong RNA signal or a strong epigenetic readout. So, you know, I think there's a lot of variables here. Um, and uh, the, I think the key is providing the tools to be able to do these types of analyses, the software that enables you to integrate the data, but as to what it all means, I think that's where the customers and the biologists, uh, you know, they have their own questions that they're asking and we're just providing the essentially the highest resolution, most information rich uh, tools and for their experiments. So where do you see the challenges? And I think you you just, uh, yeah, also uh, got into that direction in the single cell multiomic space. Do you think it will be possible to read two pieces of information from the same DNA? Like do ATAC-seq and also other another essay that would probe the location of a protein on DNA work together? Yeah. <laughs> that was uh, my bad. <laughs> and and having a close is, question. <laughs> no, anything is, I mean, the way we look at it is like, I think just about anything is possible. And, um, and so it's really about uh, one of the, it's really about understanding what's needed for the application. And so, You know, I think the technology technologies we've been talking about have a lot of runway and it's really trying to make sure that what we develop is going to be well suited for, you know, the kind of killer applications that, that most people want to run. And so um, I think that's some of the benefits of working closely with biologists and researchers and other translational sort of sites out there is you can you can lift, listen carefully and you can steer the direction of the technology and your product roadmap to, to best fit their needs. And so that's how we think about things. So, 
anything's possible. We just need to figure out and coming back to that creative thread and that question that you asked at the beginning. It's like, I've said this before, but like when someone says, oh, that's impossible, that's sort of like when I get interested and, <laughs> you know, because there's, you know, if we can crack it and solve that problem, then there's potentially a lot of value there in the, the kinds of informations and things that we can could otherwise not have been able to see. So where there's a will, there's a way sort of thing. <laughs> so, but we really want to think about it from the applications first, then help find and create the right technologies to to get those insights. So in the interest of time, I have two more uh, questions because you, you need to leave uh, soon. Um, is there, I mean, you you talked about the ATAC-seq improved the protocol and uh, the column purification for nuclei. Is there something that you, something else that you could share uh, that you're working on right now? What will be the next in your innovation from your company? Oh, there's a whole suite of things. And so it's really, <laughs> I think some of them on the spatial side of things, one thing that I haven't mentioned yet is, what we're calling fixed RNA, uh, our fixed RNA profiling kit. So that enables us to take cell suspensions or, or tissues and then fix them, chemically fix them, essentially freeze them in time. Um, and so that then we can take those samples and analyze them at a later point in time and still get, you know, the right RNA um, profile and the right kind of RNA quality and and data data that you would expect if you you know analyze those cells immediately, and so I think that that that's going to really unlock a, a really wide range of not only just logistically constrained experiments where samples might show up on a Friday afternoon, right, and then you have to get those samples prepped and someone's got to agree to stay that late into the evening and run those samples or you want to or you might have to freeze them and then run the risk of the RNA degrading over the over overnight for example um, or you need to take these cells from the place where they were isolated and get them to another another location where the single cell RNA sequencing is going to happen mm -hmm. and so this fixed RNA profiling assay is a new capability that enables us to essentially fix the cells or the tissue, and then get really high quality RNA sequencing data out. Um, and so it is a fundamental new assay. It's not like a three prime or a five prime based assay that that's on the market right now. It's a different assay capability that, that turns this on. And so that assay itself is also really exciting because it enables us to, to get really uh, you know, not just RNA counting applications, but also in the future, look towards getting additional kinds of information out from single cells. So that's one. Um, and then there are many others. We're looking at um, expanding the uh, the our immune profiling product line. And so there'll be some uh, essentially barcoded, barcoded tetramers and a workflow there that'll enable us to profile um, what we're calling um, barcode enabled antigen mapping. So looking at T cell applications or B cell applications and and using a, a streamlined workflow to get at uh, mapping those antigens or antibodies in those applications. So uh, really exciting things on that front as well in the immunology. And um, yeah, there are there are many like bulk 
epigenetics methods out there like ChIP-seq, like cut and tag, like DNA methylation assays. Do you think uh, it's feasible to also transfer those to single cell assays? Yeah, it's it's possible. Uh, and we've done some internal work and thinking around some of these applications. I think it's just a matter of when. Um, you know, we only have a certain amount of bandwidth, bandwidth to do everything and we can't do it all at once. And again, it's just uh, looking at, you know, how we do that in time and keeping on delivering on an exciting roadmap. And so in addition to single cell, we're also working on our Visium platform, which is our spatial sort of application uh, and technology there to look at intact tissues with an NGS readout. But then also we've just recently announced our, our in situ sequencing platform, which is called Xenium. And so we essentially have three platforms that we're working on in parallel. And, um, and so each of them in their own right have exciting roadmaps uh, for this year and next year and, and the years to come, including some of the things that you've mentioned. And it's just a matter of when we, you know, how we would order those in time. And, and um, that's where I think a lot of the customer feedback can help help us in which order things would come out. Uh, but then together, I think the data, coming back to your data question, single cell data from Chromium, our Visium spatial data together with our Xenium in situ data is really going to provide a really nice uh, view into, into, into biology that would previously be uh, inaccessible. And the data challenges and the kind of data insights um, are going to be uh, tremendous, but also really, really valuable, in my opinion. Yeah, thank you, Ben, for your time and for being in the show and sharing all the insights to, to your product. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Epigenetics Podcast from Active Motif. We hope you enjoyed it. You can find all the mentioned references in the show notes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you, so please send us your feedback on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or via email at podcast at activemotif.com, and we'll give you a shout-out in a future episode. For more great epigenetics content, check out the Active Motif blog at activemotif.com forward slash blog. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned.